is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting Australian female musicians and artists. Today I'm chatting with Rose Chan. She is the guitarist and vocalist in Sydney band Okin Osan. Rose, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, a really big influence for you is Buddy Holly. And I've actually, in preparation over the last couple of days, been listening to a lot of Buddy Holly, so thanks a lot for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You really like 50s rock and roll. Where were you introduced to listening to all this music from the 50s? Um, yeah, so I guess mainly it was because my grandma used to play it all the time. So when I moved to Australia, I was like three and a half. So I wasn't ready to go to like preschool or primary school yet. So I would be in a house with just my grandma and she would just play like tape after tape of all this stuff she recorded off the radio. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was just all from that time period, like 50s, 60s. So, yeah, I guess it was like every every day. So that was (laughs) a really early introduction to that kind of music then. Yeah. Like three years old. Yeah, really young. And then, like, we would have those tapes in the car, like, every weekend when we'd drive around to, like, the beach or whatever. So, yeah, it was just basically like the soundtrack to our childhood. Yeah. Amazing. It's interesting that you mentioned tapes there, because I know that your uh, EP that came out in 2016, that was released on the record label Healthy Tapes. Yeah. I was having a look at their website. They look really cool. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about Healthy Tapes? Yeah, sure. So Healthy Tapes is mainly run by someone called Lee, um, and they're based in Melbourne. And basically, yeah, they just like really love tapes, and they help artists put their music on tape. And they're very, very lovely. One of the nicest people I know. <laughs> so it was the EP was released on tape. That's primarily what they do. They don't do CDs. They don't do kind of vinyl and things like that. It's just all cassettes it's all, all cassettes. the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right on. It's really interesting that so you love music from the 50s mm-hmm. and you love cassette tapes. Is it maybe fair to say that in this kind of project there's kind of a real nostalgia or looking backwards for the influences for Okino-san? Yeah, that's absolutely right on, I think. But that's like also just my personality. I feel like I'm a very nostalgic and reminiscing kind of person. I always like look to stuff I've experienced in the past. And like actually all the songs that I use for Okino-san are songs that I wrote between the ages of 13 and 18. So they're all like really old. Okay. Yeah, some of them like over 10 years old. So is that a rule that you've set for yourself that you have to use those ones and then maybe record them in a better way, but you had to channel that particular time? Yeah, I I don't know if it's a rule. I mean, it's something that I'm sticking to for now, but I have been like writing new stuff, so maybe I will release some like fresh stuff, (laughs) but I do really enjoy like going through the old songs. It's just like really enjoyable for me because like I like to have a bit of distance as well and I feel like if I still enjoy or still kind of like those songs 
all this time later, then I'm like, okay, that's a good enough song to release. Then you must be onto something. <laughs> yeah. If you can still dig it's it like ten a, years later. <laughs> yeah, it's like a filtering system. Cool. Is that an interesting process to kind of see the way that you thought at a younger age? Yeah, sometimes it's really funny. <laughs> some, some of the songs that are in the book are really, really funny. <laughs> and I don't think that I would ever release some of them. But yeah, I think, I don't know. Actually, I was like reading my old diaries just two weeks ago because we were cleaning up our family house. And like all these things that I'm into now, I was like, oh my God, I was into them when I was like 10. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't realize, like, oh, I just forget that, like, I was also interested. Like, I've just been interested in the same stuff for, like, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, who am I? I need to, like, That's cool, move though. On. I, um, I think that's a really interesting process. I didn't realize that about the Okinosan songs. Yeah. There was uh, Jack White released uh, an acoustic album, and he had some stuff where he was looking at stuff that he wrote 20 years before. And he said he was almost going through a process where he's songwriting with himself from a different perspective at a different age. And you're doing as well. That's really cool. Yeah, I guess I kind of do that. There's definitely a lot of, like, I don't, I try not to change too much of, like, what I intended the songs to be like at that age. Um, But just through, like, the process of recording and being better at my instruments and at music and like just all the experiences I've had, like some things are a bit different, but yeah, everything is, it's like, I would say 99% loyal to whatever I wrote in the book. So when did you start writing songs? It must've been really young. Yeah, I think, I mean, I started writing, (laughs) so I'm, I have like classical training. That's like my background. So I was writing kind of classical style music from like the age of eight and that was I I think it was just like a hobby like I was just passing the time and then I wanted to be like a cool like rock star (laughs) so I started writing pop songs like when I was 12 and yeah like I would have gotten my first guitar around like 10 or something so that would have coincided with that. talking before about taking these songs that were written a long time but you've obviously learned a lot over the last 10 or however many years mm. i saw that you have done some session musician work with rainbow chan particularly yeah how does being a session musician influence the way that you write these original songs is that invaluable experience getting that time kind of under your belt being in the studio environment yeah i i think so i mean it really I mean, when I was writing this stuff when I was a teenager, I had no idea how to record music or, like, the whole process. And so, like, working with these more experienced musicians um, has definitely taught me a lot about, like, what instruments can do and how how to best record music and what sounds good recorded. Because mm. I think the way that I perceive or, like, think about music is very focused on the live aspect and, like, how it sounds played live because I just... Didn't, wasn't really a fan of recording stuff when I was younger. Mm. But now, like, I can, I've learned so many more possibilities of, like, 
what the recording process can do for music. So, yeah. Almost using the studio like a tool to try and enhance what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Cool. That's yeah. interesting you're talking about the recording process because I know that you, for the EP, was that mainly done in a lounge room, the way that you're recording the... Yeah, so the first EP, or the only EP I've got, um, it was recorded in a lounge room. Yeah, just live. And then we did the vocals after. And that was after you had done some session work in a studio already? Yeah, so I, I was doing some stuff. I was part of like um, a tribute to the Avalanche's first album with okay. um, a musician called John T. Um, and we, like, we had a really massive band by the end of like the project it was like 20 people so it was really amazing and we would record stuff in the studio and rehearse in the studio all the time and yeah just like with my sister Rainbow she's obviously an electronic musician so a lot of it is kind of studio based and Mm. recording all the time. So after having that experience and being around these kind of professional studios what was it that drove you to want to do a really kind of DIY thing and do the recordings for the EP in a lounge room where you kind of have control of everything? I guess when I started like doing Okinosan stuff publicly it was just me so that's why a lot of it is very DIY because I was literally doing everything myself. Okay. And yeah, because I didn't really have the knowledge. So I was kind of just like going along for the ride with like friends who wanted to help out here and there. But now I feel like I can just do everything myself. And the newest single that I released, I like did it myself. Mm. So, which is like really nice actually. That is an excellent segue because I wanted to uh, take a break and have a listen to your most recently released single that came out in April. It is called I Want to Be That Girl by Okina-san. Let's have a listen to that now. I'm sick of hearing all about
was called I Wanna Be That Girl. That is the latest single from Okin Osan. And that song, Rose, I understand, that was the first one that you actually did the mixing yourself? Yeah, that's right. So how I mixed was, it myself. How was that experience? Um, It was long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I was... For, for my EP, I was like quite involved in the mixing process. Like I would listen to it all the time, and kind of give feedback to Wade, my friend who was doing it. Um, but this time, yeah, like actually moving stuff around on the computer was a bit scary. But like I, I did do like a mixing class at uni, so it was good to put that to some use. Um, and also, my drummer friend was helping me out as well. So was that the kind of thing where? you do it over a long period and you kind of do a little bit here and there? Or did you kind of really get into it and become obsessed with it over a short period of time and do it all really quickly? I think we were obsessed with it for, yeah, for like two weeks. Okay. (laughs) It was like everything we were doing. So you did some audio engineering courses at uni? Um, Yeah, I just did one unit that was like mixing and uh, recording techniques and stuff. Okay, and that was really useful? Um, yeah, I mean, it was good for mixing, I think, because we had to mix Bohemian Rhapsody, and it was, like, all the stems and all the master, like, all the stuff that didn't make it into the final recording, so it was, like, 200 tracks, Yeah. and there was about 50 tracks of just Freddie Mercury, and one of them was just him being, like, wow, like, totally (laughs) out of tune yells, like, every five seconds, and then there was a massive gong at the end, (laughs) and we were, like, oh... I was supposed to take that out, right? Like, I think that's just the time marker. But a lot of people kept it in, in their final assignment. So they gave you some stems that weren't necessarily supposed to be there. Yeah, so and, it was, oh, like, everything wow. they recorded. And you were supposed to, like, figure out, like, how to make it sound good or... I, I don't know if they wanted us to make it close to the fight, like, that one that they released. But, um, yeah, I guess it was just, like, easier discretion. There's so much free reign yeah. to do what you want. What a cool... I wish my uni assignments were that cool. <laughs> Mixing Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, that it would was really... Awesome. It was a headache. <laughs> <laughs> on that DIY kind of vein, I saw a video on your Facebook where you were kind of pressing badges. Yeah, stamping like, badges. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you are kind of involved with making your own kind of merch yourself. So what do you make? What kind of merch do you make? Um, yeah, so like I haven't actually done this before. Um, I've never had merch before and I was like, oh, I've got like a few weeks spare. I may as well just do this. And I guess I'm a pretty creative and artistic person. So I was like, okay, I'll just like do it myself and design it myself. And then my friend Daisy who's an artist, has a badge presser, and I was, like, at her house, and she's like, oh, yeah, let's just make some badges right now. Like, if you've got the design, let's just do it. And I was like, cool. So we made some badges, and then I printed some shirts and tote bags just with the design that I drew. When you have made all this merch yourself, how do you distribute it? Is it just at shows or...? Yeah, so I'm bringing it along to shows. I've been bringing it along to shows um, and getting rid of it that way. (laughs) Um, But I've also been posting it out as well. And I do need to put it up on Bandcamp soon. I've been meaning to do that. Okay, because they have a merch kind of section as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool.
was on the whole podcast. Was it 2013? Yeah. You started the first EP came out in 2016. So yeah. When did Okino-san start? Around 2012. 2012. That's okay. when I played the first show, and then like with a couple of friends, and then I had like a rotating lineup of musicians. Mm. And for the past like year and a half, it's been pretty consistent. So like now it's, I feel like this lineup is gonna stick. But, yeah, I recorded, like, the actual recording happened in 2013, and then I just didn't release it until 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Was there a, a hold-up with, like, the mixing and mastering thing? or you Yeah. Just... Mixing, mixing took a really long time because I moved to France for a year. Oh, okay. And then Wade moved to um, Berlin, who is the guy who was helping me record and mix it. So, like, I just – and also I just wasn't in a rush. I was like, eh. It'll happen. So what did Okino-san <laughs> consist of when you were overseas? Were you playing solo shows over there? or No, I actually, like, I brought all my instruments and I was like, yes, I'm going to play in France. And then I was just so consumed by uni work that I didn't do any music oh, really? while I was over there. Yeah, it was really, like, sad and unfortunate. Huh. But, um, but I did the mixing class, so... That's something. Cool. <laughs> well, I actually wanted to talk about an event that you were involved with that kind of predates Okino-san. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a catalyst. I think it was, yes. It was in 2012. Mm -hmm. You performed at the Opera House yeah. in a psycho opera that was written by Karen O. Yeah. We were both talking about off-air how we are both pretty big fans of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about how that went down, performing at the <laughs> Opera House. Yeah. So we played five... We did the show five times and rehearsals were like, oh, I can't even remember. I think it was like two months or something. It was pretty, it felt like forever. And they were pretty intense. It was like 16 hour days. And it, yeah, I guess it was just a really surreal experience for me. And I'm like a really shy person. So I didn't really, I didn't talk to any of the celebs who were involved <laughs> with the show. But like after every day, pretty much everyone would go out drinking and dancing so like that was really strange to be because like when we were working on the show it was just like a professional environment so it was pretty like normal but then when everyone was hanging out after it was like oh I'm, I'm just gonna stand in the corner and do my own thing <laughs> so this is weirding me out but they were really nice they were lovely people how did you so <laughs> you had lots of rehearsals yeah how did you get involved with this psych opera at the opera house is there like a, a long kind of audition processes um yeah so there was an audition um but basically the talent scout for that show was jack Cowell. i don't know if you've heard of him mm. um but he's like a local sydney musician um, and he just got in touch with, so my sister was in it as well, Rainbow. So he got in touch with the both of us and was like, yeah, I'm like scouting for this. Um, the auditions are happening at this time, sent through like your bio and stuff. And then we were accepted for auditions. And then we went to the like opera house courthouse building. I think that's what it's called. And did a Skype interview with the... Um, like the director of the show and we had to sing Be My Baby by the Ronettes which is really like fun cool. <laughs> which is like the best song ever so you sung that over Skype and that was the audition yeah Whoa. and then they asked like me a few questions as well um, and then yeah and then we like I found out that I was in it and then we did the rehearsals and learned all the songs and the choreography and and there was like all these costumes and stuff. Yeah, it was like a full-on 
production. Yeah, that's a really intense kind of thing to be involved with. Yeah. So how did that very large scale, heaps of rehearsals, a lot of production kind of stuff, how did going through that process influence what everything that you do on stage now? I, I don't know. When I was in the production, I it didn't really phase me that much. Like, like there was, oh, like, I mean, obviously I was a yeah, yeah, yeah fan, but I just kind of was thinking about them like normal people. And actually the whole production and being in it was just felt very familiar to me, like I was doing a high school like musical or okay. something. Not that I did musical theatre, but like I was in lots of, like all the school bands. So I would be playing... Like, it just felt the same as a high school show. Obviously much better yeah. and professional and, like, very good. Big audience but, um, as well, I guess. Huge audience, yeah. yes. <laughs> In a proper venue. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was just really young and naive and just wasn't really taking it in. I was only 18 when I did it, so it was just another day. And then, like, now when I look back on it and people, like, freak out, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you were... I went to that show. Like, And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was... It was pretty cool, wasn't it? In hindsight, it was a really cool thing that I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, Rose, well, it is time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing. So what I'd like you to do is to choose from one of my seven topics and then tell me something that I don't know. So the topics of the segment are musical equipment, recording equipment, politics, Patti Smith, death, poetry, and punk rock. Rose, can you tell me a thing? Yeah, I can tell you a thing or two. Um, The topic I'm going to choose is death. Okay, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess I am choosing this because something that I don't know maybe a lot of people know this I don't know maybe just close people to me know this but I have a very intense fear of death and it has been a lifelong thing and I have like a lot of memories where I'll be thinking about it and I'm really scared and dad like my dad or my mom would be like don't be scared I'm like 50 years older than you and I'm not scared and I'm like but but it's still scary and like I would when I was like five or so I would struggle to go to bed because I would be scared that I wouldn't be able to wake up wow yeah it was really intense (laughs) so like every night I would go to bed watching this VHS that we had of um, Snow White, like the animated Disney movie, but in Cantonese because I couldn't really speak English yet. So I would watch that every night. And then, like, at the end of the movie, it had all this, like, footage of Walt Disney drawing, like, the animations and, like, all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And I would, like, slowly fall asleep to that every night. That's really interesting that you were afraid of death at such a young age. Because I guess you said that it's, like, a lifelong thing. I guess everybody has a defining moment where before that moment you didn't really know. Or think about it. Or think about it or know that everyone's going to die. Yeah. And then that's like time zero. And then after that, you know, and it kind of changes your life. But it seems though you were saying that it's like you don't remember not being afraid of death. No, yeah, it's been always. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but my mum would always, like, every time she wanted to teach me something or tell me to be careful, it would end with, and then you'll die. Like, she'll be like, <laughs> wow. She'd be like, don't walk up the stairs without holding the hand of an adult because you could trip and fall over and hit your head, and then you'll die. Wow. Like, it was always, it would end with, and then you'll die. Ooh. So, I think that's, I would think about that. And then. Yeah, and then I just think, oh, when someone's dead, they're really gone. Like, that's that's it. Or at least, like, in this world, that's all we know. And then I'd just be really... I'd go into a vortex of, like, thinking about that and being really scared and really sad. But um, actually, yeah, we've been... Like, I've been listening to a lot of um, Mount Erie, and he, like, his whole thing is, like, singing about death and the passing of his wife. And it's all very tragic and sad. And, like, we saw him play recently at his concert. But, like, all my friends were crying and I wasn't crying. Okay. <laughs> I was we... like, it's really weird that I'm the one that's not, like, feeling what he feels and, like, not having the empathy. Because usually, on, on top of me being really afraid of death, I'm also a really empathetic person. So... I so think what, I just had to shut it all off, otherwise I would have been a mess. Okay, so you were feeling nothing? Pretty much. I mean, I was listen- I was appreciating the music and I could, like, I was listening to the lyrics and being like, oh, that's really sad. But um, I wasn't feeling anything, like, in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing. I yeah. didn't realise that was where my segment was going to go today, but that yeah, was really interesting. Very intense, yeah. <laughs> I don't talk about it too much. With Okinosan, what do we have on the horizon? You've released the single came out in April. Yeah. So what do we have coming up? So we have a couple of shows coming up. Um, the next one is on the 15th of June. We're playing Otto's House Party at World Bar. And that should be fun. And then we're also playing at the Marlborough Hotel on the 12th of July. Okay, so a couple yeah. gigs in the yeah. works. Mm-hmm. Well, Rose, thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As 107.3. Yeah.